Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the John Campion Podcast, episode number 36 for Tuesday, August the 2nd, 2016. I cannot believe it is August already. I can't believe Comic-Con is behind us. I can't believe I'm going to go see Suicide Squad tonight. There's a lot of weird and wonderful things going on. Hey, guys, first of all, hey, look, you know I mentioned I was going to try to start doing my podcast on Saturdays, Mondays, and Wednesdays. Yesterday got crazy. Monday got crazy. So here I am. I'm going to do one on Tuesday to make up for yesterday, and there's still going to be a new podcast tomorrow because uh, I'm going to go see Suicide Squad tonight. And so I figured uh, a podcast tomorrow would be great because I can give you my uh, my more fuller in-depth reactions. But I will let you know tonight, maybe around 11 o'clock uh, Pacific Standard Time, I'm going to put up my Suicide Squad review on my YouTube channel. So make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash John Campia. And somewhere between 11 p.m. and 12 midnight, that's after I get back from the screening, I'm going to put up my review because the embargo is lifted. So you can check that out there. But I'm also going to talk probably a little bit more in depth on tomorrow's podcast. Uh, go a little bit more into depth on the initial review at that time. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very stoked to see Suicide Squad. This is a movie I've been very intrigued by, incredibly intrigued by for a while now. This is a movie that could go one of two ways. It could go complete disaster or it could be really awesome. And we know all the things this movie has going for it. I mean, you got David Ayer directing it. That's awesome. You got a really solid cast in there. I, I don't know. Look, and I'll be honest with you. I know a few people that have already seen it, that actually saw a screening of it just a couple of days ago. And so far, the reactions are mixed. I know one person that really didn't like it. I know one person that thought it was okay. And I know one person who really liked it. So I have no idea what I should expect from myself going in and go see it tonight. But I'm going to go see it with Mark and Christian and Dennis and Schnepp and Wendy. And we're all going to go see it tonight. I think Makuga's coming along too. We're all going to go see it tonight. And like I said, tonight on my YouTube channel, check out my review. I'm going to put it up there at the time. Um, I'm going to spend, mostly address some great, great email questions came in in the last couple of days from you guys. And once again, how you get a question or a topic brought up on the John Campia podcast is simply email me at thejohncampiapodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's thejohncampiapodcast at gmail.com. Send in your question or topic you'd like brought up on the show. And we got some really good ones here. We're going to get to those in just a second. But I did want to talk right off the top about a couple things. Uh, one is a movie thing. One is a UFC thing. And then we'll get to the questions. Uh, the movie thing, I got a piece of news yesterday. I'm sure most of you have heard this by now. That every once in a while, a piece of news comes out and you're just like, what? So apparently, the studio wants to remake Splash. Splash, the Tom Hanks, Daryl Hannah film. Now, you know me. I'm all for remakes. I have no problem with remakes at all. Remake anything. Remake Star Wars. Remake The Godfather. I don't care because if it's good, then hey, we've got another good movie. If it's bad, who cares? I still have the original. That's the only logic people should use when you know deciding if remakes are worth doing or not is, hey, it's fine because if it's good, we have a, another good movie we can enjoy. If it's bad, makes no difference because we still have the original. That's the only logic people should apply. But anyway, I digress. I, I've i always said that I kind of have like three key rules for whether a movie is primed to be remade. 
you know, one of them is has the majority of the current movie going on and it's not seen the original. And I think with Splash, you can make an argument that most people, I think, under 30 probably haven't seen Splash. So, I mean, there you go. There's one checkbox. Okay. Another checkbox is, can the movie benefit from modern technology? And I think you can make an argument that Splash, with its potential for for beautiful visuals and visual effects, I believe you can make an argument that, yeah, yeah, a modern retelling of Splash could benefit from modern technology. Okay, fine. Checkbox that too. But here's the third part is, the third rule I usually apply to remaking a movie is, will the movie, will remaking it now in a modern context add something to the story? And I'm not sure that Splash does that. I mean, Splash was a charming, quintessential 80s comedy. It was very much an 80s style comedy. So I'm like, what are they going to do? Are they going to tell a a story of a mermaid in the New York Harbor in 2016 or 2017? I I just don't see Splash being the kind of movie that fits in a modern context. So then the question is, okay, are you still going to set it in the 80s and try to do it in an 80s style, much like Stranger Things just did on Netflix? Stranger Things, by the way, if you haven't watched it, it's great. Make sure you go watch Stranger Things. It's only up eight episodes. You can blow through it in a weekend, no problem. But Stranger Things shot itself. Not only is the movie set in the 80s, it shoots like it shoots as if its audience is in the 80s too. It shoots like it's a, it's a show being made in the 80s as well. And it, that charm kind of worked. But I, I don't know if that works for Splash. I'm, I'm a little bit confused by this. But here's the bigger confusing part for me, all right? Channing Tatum is apparently signed up to lead the thing. Now, I don't know if Channing Tatum is going to play the Tom Hanks part. Or if they're going to do a little uh, gender reversal and have, you know, Channing Tatum play a merman. Maybe he'll be, instead of Daryl Hannah's mermaid, maybe it'll be Channing Tatum as a merman. Maybe, I I mean, I don't know. If you guys know how they've worked that out, let me know. But let's go on the, let's operate on the assumption just for a moment that he's going to be playing the Tom Hanks role. I am scratching my head. This does not seem like a good role for him. I'm not sitting here and saying, why would they get Channing Tatum? Although I don't think it's a very good fit. And because I, you know, I think Channing Tatum has evolved into a pretty damn decent performer. And I enjoy watching his stuff now, especially comedy. But I'm sitting here scratching my head. Why on earth would Channing Tatum take this? Is this what he's holding up Gambit for? To do Splash? I, I just got, I'm just a little bit confused by this. I don't see, like if I'm Channing Tatum, and I'm Channing Tatum's reps and I'm Channing Tatum's people. I don't see the logic in this. I, I don't understand what the thinking process behind this is. How does doing a splash movie help Channing Tatum's career? I, I just don't see it. Now, look, all this is advanced speculation. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe Splash the remake comes out and it's 10 times better than the original and it's considered a new modern classic and it's awesome. Hey, you got to be open to those possibilities. And I'm open to that. Maybe that'll be the case. I'm just saying from where I'm sitting right now, you know, a year and a half before this movie comes out, before they've even started shooting, I'm sitting here from the perspective I'm in and just saying, I don't get it. I don't get how Splash is a relevant remake in the first place. And I'm all for remakes, but I'm also scratching my head. I don't get why Channing Tatum would do this. 
So I, I don't know. Maybe there's a script. Maybe there's a script and it's freaking phenomenal and people love it and Tatum loves it and all of his people are going crazy for it. Okay. I mean, maybe it's po- – I, I mean, I don't know. But as far as I know, a script's not even done yet. So I, I'm just sitting here scratching my head a little bit. All right. Let's move on to something here. And I know some of you don't like when I talk sports, but tough. This is my podcast. I get to talk about whatever I want. I'm going to talk just for a minute about sports here and the UFC. Uh, f- for any of you who know my love of mixed martial arts and you know, f- being a fan of the UFC, my all-time favorite fighter is George St. Pierre. He is my all-time favorite fighter. That guy was the most pure martial artist, I think, in the in UFC history. Um, the dude is just brilliant because not only was he like one of the best strikers I've ever seen, not only is he incredibly smooth and fluid, but his wrestling was unmatched. Um, just unmatched. So he could control a fight. He could win a fight and control a fight from anywhere he wanted it to. If he wanted to stand up and beat up a guy, um, then he could stand up and beat up a guy. If he wanted to take a guy to the ground and then just ground and pound him for five rounds, he could take a guy to the ground and ground and pound him for five rounds. And there's all these people who don't actually know shit about mixed martial arts. who go, oh, GSP's just lay and pray. Oh yeah, look at the faces of his opponents in the post-press conferences and tell me GSP was a lay and pray guy. No, he was not. He was methodical. He was an artist um, and he was just brilliant. And I loved watching him fight. And anyway, just watched, as you know, George St. Pierre had retired and UFC 201 just happened the other night. Dennis and I had went downtown. We went into Hollywood and watched the fights and we saw a brand new welterweight champion crowned in Woodley. Woodley is the new welterweight champion. Uh, first round knockout, very decisive win. But here is the interesting thing is after he won the fight in the press conference, he called out retired former champion, George St. Pierre. Now they asked him, who would you like to defend the belt against first? And he said, I believe he said, I can't remember if he said Nick or Nate Diaz out of the Diaz brothers, but he said one of the Diaz brothers or George St. Pierre, which I thought was really interesting. What is even more interesting is in George St. Pierre, when a reporter asked him about it, George St. Pierre said, yeah, I'd come out of retirement and fight Woodley, which got my juices flowing. Like, look, I'm going to go on record right now. Let there be no mistake about it. Let there be no pretense. George St. Pierre has been retired for three years. Woodley is a monster. I believe 29, 30-year-old George St. Pierre would smoke Woodley. Just smoke Woodley. I believe he would frustrate Woodley. And then once you get into the later rounds, Woodley's gas tank runs out and George St. Pierre would then destroy him. But George St. Pierre ain't 29 years old and it ain't 2010 anymore. And it's not, and George St. Pierre hasn't been fighting regularly. George St. Pierre has been retired for three years. He's 35 years old. I don't believe George St. Pierre can beat Woodley. But I still want to see the fight. I still want to see the fight. Like, look, I, I'm a big fan. I, I really enjoy – I've become a fan, I should say, of Anderson Silva. Um, and I knew there was no way he, Anderson Silva was going to be Daniel Cormier. No way. Not a chance. Daniel Cormier, who fought at heavyweight, was undefeated at heavyweight, 
cuts down weight to become the light heavyweight champion. An active light heavyweight champion. He's simply too strong and powerful. There was no way Anderson Silva was going to win that fight. There's just no way. That being said, though, I was still excited to see the fight because I love seeing a legend like Anderson Silva get in there and fight the top guy in that weight division at the time. I was excited about it. And I will be excited, very excited, jumping out of my skin excited to see George St. Pierre come out of retirement and fight the current reigning champion in Woodley. I don't believe George St. Pierre can win that fight. I mean, anything's possible in the UFC. Absolutely, anything is possible. He could, but I would definitely not put money on George St. Pierre winning that fight. But I'd still be cheering my guts out for him, and I'd still be loving seeing this legend, one of the greatest of all time, back in that ring, coming out of retirement, fighting the reigning champion. I think that would be great, and I think Woodley wins that fight. I do. Like If George St. Pierre can get it past the second round and stymie him and get him past the second round, then George St. Pierre has that, has that chance. But we just saw that Woodley has a habit of ending fights in the first round. Um so, look, I, I'm excited about this. I hope this happens. Woodley says he wants the fight. GSP says, okay, I'll take that fight. Now let's see if it actually happens. If it does, I'll be very excited, even though I don't really believe that George St. Pierre can beat the dude. Um, all right. Now, I said we're going to move on to some of your email questions, and we're going to do that right now. Our first question comes from Kathy Lynn, and Kathy Lynn writes, Considering Man of Steel, which I love, made me love Superman – Kickstarted the DCEU. I can't help but feel sorry for Henry Cavill and Superman getting pushed aside in favor of Batman. Henry Cavill's Superman just doesn't get enough love with many hating his Superman portrayal. His performance was so forgotten and underappreciated by many, uh, by many calling him a bad, bland, wooden actor. Lately, I read that Warner Brothers suggested having Henry Cavill to be Tarzan, but David Yates didn't want him because of his high profile. I can't help but think of the number of projects he might have missed out on because of his fame or infamous as a cinematic Superman everyone in Hollywood seems to dislike or care about. As much as I love him as Superman and very excited with him in the DCEU, I'm worried for his career. Thoughts? Um, yeah, I'll be honest with you. Batman v Superman is a movie that I liked, but I can understand why other people didn't. Okay. It's, it's one of those movies that I enjoyed. I've watched several times. I'll watch it again. And I appreciate the film and I like it. I enjoy it. I get fun out of it, but I can understand why other people didn't. Man of Steel is a movie I don't get people dislike for it. I just don't get it. Um, I think Man of Steel is a magnificent film. It's a wonderful film. If, you know, I think if you truly sit down and just watch it for its nuance and it's, it's a character movie about this guy, this alien in a foreign land, I think it is an absolutely brilliant movie. Um, and you know, when I listen to a lot of, I'm not making excuses for why other people didn't like it, but when I listen to other people explain some of their complaints, they describe them wanting us just a Superman who's gosh golly, let me rescue your cat from your tree, have some apple pie, ma'am. Like when I hear them describe why they don't like Man of Steel, it often comes down to, and again, I'm not making excuses for them. This is coming from their mouths. All right. When I listen to them explain why they don't like Man of Steel, what I often hear, not all the time, there are differences, but what I often hear is people complaining because it wasn't a gosh golly 1950s Superman. Which, 
you know, I think is ridiculous because it ain't the 1950s anymore, number one. But number two, if you really want to look at this character, this guy who has been different and probably feels completely alone in the world, yet has this incredibly high moral bar to meet from his one father, from his earthbound father, this incredibly high moral standard. And then from his other father, this incredibly high accomplishment standard, you're going to save this world. So he's, this is a, a boy who's an outsider, who's different, who doesn't understand himself, let alone have the people around him understand him. And he's got these two impossibly high, you know, life goal standards and moral standards being preached at him by two different fathers. And understanding how a guy like that, with an incredibly high moral compass, and wants to do good and right and be the Boy Scout and all that kind of stuff, and yet wrestling with being alone and an outsider and hiding who he truly is. When you look at that, I believe Man of Steel was the perfect modern-day telling of a Superman story. I think it was perfect. I'm sorry, folks. The Christopher Reeve, oh, no, are you going to talk shit about the Christopher Reeve Superman? I'm just saying, sorry. Sorry, the Christopher Reeve Superman, which was great in the early 80s, that don't work today. That would come across as cheesy and a little bit lame today. It was wonderful and perfect for its time. It was a, the, the Christopher Reeve Superman films, at least the first two, the other ones let's not talk about, at least the first two were great examples of products of their time. That wouldn't work today. And I think what Zack Snyder gave us was a perfect modern incarnation of a Superman story. Just perfect. Um, but here's the other thing too. There are a lot of people, and I complain about this a lot, where just because they like a movie, they think every actor who was in it was awesome. No, there are some very good movies where there are some bad performances given. But the reverse is true too. Sometimes people dislike a movie, but then want to hold the actors in it responsible for what happened in the movie. And that doesn't make sense to me either. I think if you really look at Henry Cavill, his portrayal of Superman is wonderful. He's he's a great Superman. I love the performance he gives. But anyway, here's the thing. So with the, the performance he gives, a lot of people forget that Henry Cavill was not some little unknown when they cast him as Superman. He was unknown by the general public. But the Hollywood casting agency circles have been watching Henry Cavill as one of the four-star recruit prospects for years. Henry Cavill has been one of those guys, because of the amount of talent he has, who has been pegged by the Hollywood casting agents as being a can't-miss superstar. Like A lot of people forget that, yeah, Daniel Craig is Bond now, but guess who came in second? Henry Cavill. Henry, if, if for whatever reason they decided not to go with Daniel Craig or Daniel Craig decided he didn't want to be Bond when they first cast him, Henry Cavill was going to be your James Bond. When they were doing Superman Returns, the Brian Singer one with Brandon Ralph, the next runner up to that was Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill has been very, very close to breaking through for a number of years because the Hollywood casting and talent agents just know Henry Cavill is that good. And he's a can't-miss guy. It's just a matter of finding that right thing for him to do. Now, he got his kind of quote-unquote breakthrough performance with the Tudors. Remember the television series? And he was wonderful in the Tudors. He was fantastic in that show. 
And so he wasn't completely unknown to the general audiences, but then they gave him Superman. I, I just think he was a magnificent Superman. Don't be too worried, Kathy, about his thing. He's got, first of all, he's completely tied up with the DCEU right now. He's completely tied up with the DC Cinematic Universe because he's doing uh, the two Justice League films and you know he's going to appear in others. Plus, he's got another Iraqi war film coming out. So this dude's, his schedule is packed. His schedule is packed. He's working. Don't worry about him. He's going to be just fine because all those Hollywood casting agents that have been trying to get him onto projects for years, they still know how good of an actor he is. He really is that good. And you know, look, an argument can be made that a DC Cinematic Universe movie is not the showcase for how good of an actor you can be. Neither is a Marvel film. Those aren't really the types of projects that will really let you truly show the full depth of your acting chops. Neither. That's not so we haven't had great performances, but they've been comic book movie performances. You know what I'm saying? So don't worry about Henry Cavill. His career's doing just fine. He's booked up right now. He's got big projects coming down the line. So don't worry about him. Uh, all right. Thanks a lot for the question, Kathy. Let's move on to the next one. This next one comes from Tom Schotter, who writes, I listened to your podcast about Comic-Con moving to Vegas, and it makes perfect sense. However, do you think Comic-Con is under pressure from San Diego City Council or whatever it's called over there? Because if you move Comic-Con to Vegas, how much money will the local businesses in San Diego lose? Yeah, for those of you who don't know what Tom is talking about, I put up a video on my YouTube channel yesterday just basically talking about three reasons why Comic-Con should move to San Diego or should move out of San Diego to Las Vegas. And I love San Diego, man. I love that town. I think it's awesome. But when you look at the convention capacity, when you look at hotel capacity, and you look at, you know, logistics of moving people around, I just did those three reasons. And go watch the video. I go more in depth into explain why all these things. And I give you a lot of facts and figures as well. But they need to move it. The question is, would they face pressure from San Diego? Yes. Lots of pressure. And they have been facing pressure from San Diego for years to stay there. But here's the thing. San Diego has been promising for years, years to expand the convention center. They've been promising that for years and to build new hotels and to do all this kind of stuff to help accommodate not just Comic-Con, but other potentially bigger conventions to come to San Diego because San Diego is one hell of a beautiful town and a great place to be. But year after year, they fail to come through on those promises. And at some point, you just have to say enough is enough and it's time to move. I believe it's time to move. Now, that's just my opinion. Um, I love San Diego. I love traveling there every year for Comic-Con, yes. But I think what is best for the convention is to move it to a city like Las Vegas. Again, I go into more details in, in why and how, and I lay out the numbers on my video on my YouTube channel. Just go look on my YouTube channel for three reasons to move Comic-Con to Vegas. Uh, just search for that. You'll find it no problem. And that's what I believe. So is City Council really trying to turn up the heat and keep them there? Absolutely they are. That's millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars that flood into the local economy. But you got to keep your end of the bargain too. You know, you got to, you got to do something to keep them there. And that means expanding the convention center, creating more hotels, uh, all that kind of stuff, stuff that I just don't know that San Diego can do because they've had years to do it and they keep failing. Anyway, that's just my thoughts on that. All right. Two more questions quick. And then I need to wrap up. Like I need to keep a little bit early today because I got some shows I got to shoot. Um, the next question comes from Sam Dean and Sam Dean writes, hello, John, loving the podcast with Warcraft failing to make the 500 million that it needed to break even. Does that mean future, um, mean future 
films for Warcraft are now dead. Thanks, and may the force be with you. Yeah, look, Sam Dean, first of all, I love the supernatural reference in your email uh, name. Um, here's the thing, Sam Dean. I don't know where this $500 million to break even number came from, but the math doesn't, the math says that it doesn't need 500 million to break even. The movie cost $160 million to produce. You figure on top of that a $50 million uh, marketing budget. So now you're looking at about, eh, 210. So you're looking at about $210 million. So now you've got 400, I think, I think it's in the neighborhood. Let me just pull this up quickly. The film, I know, made around $430 million worldwide. Let me pull it. Yeah, $433 million worldwide. Okay? $433 million worldwide. Now, generally speaking, this isn't an exact thing, but generally speaking, subtract one-third of the box office total for the receipts that the movie theaters keep. Okay? So the, the movie theaters keep... About one third. Okay, so for argument's sake, let's say that takes you down to about $320 million. So $433 million, take away a third. Let's for, I'm not doing the exact math. Just for argument's sake, let's say $330 million is what it ends up with, okay? So now with production and marketing, you got $210 million. You got $433 million worldwide minus the theatrical take. You're left with about $330. Let's go say $320. So that's 320 in revenue against 210 in expenses. 320 in revenue versus 210 in expenses. Warcraft made money. I mean, it bombed terribly in North America. It absolutely did. I think in North America, out of that $433 million in North America, it didn't even make $50 million. But worldwide, it made $433 million, and that was more than enough to make the movie profitable. But you still have to be concerned about that under $50 million North American result. I think because it made money and because they know they can do it better next time, I do think you're going to see a second Warcraft film. I do. I think you're going to see it and you'll probably hear it announced within the next six months. But it might have a smaller budget than last time and I don't think you'll see Duncan Jones uh, return to it as well. And you know, I liked Warcraft, but I know a lot of people that didn't. A lot of my friends didn't like it. I did. So there you go. All right, last question of the day, and this one comes from Dejan Barjanovic, who writes, where is Mickey Rourke? He had a long time absence, but then had a great resurgence uh, with 2008's The Wrestler and then Iron Man 2, and now he's disappeared again. Why do you think that is? Well, remember, Mickey Rourke didn't just have a resurgence with The Wrestler. He had a resurgence with Sin City. That's really, really where his resurgence started. And then he was great in The Wrestler. Let's let's not say Iron Man 2. He was not good in Iron Man 2. So where is he? Look, this is just my personal opinion. Um, he's exactly where he deserves to be in obscurity. This guy, you know, people often have these impressions of Hollywood movie stars that they're, they're these big divas. And I'm constantly surprised by meeting all these Hollywood stars all the time. I meet all these people. And so many of them are so grounded and so down to earth and so nice Except Mickey Rourke. Um, I remember he was in that movie with Henry Cavill, speaking of Henry Cavill, called Immortals. And I talked to the producers of that movie and apparently he was a nightmare to work with. He was an absolute diva to work with. And I talked to the producers privately at Comic-Con about it and they said they would never work with him again. They would never recommend anybody work with him. He was such a – and they told me some stories about the shit that he pulled. And quite frankly, he sucked in Immortals. Immortals wasn't that great of a movie. Henry Cavill was really good in it. Mikey, Mickey Rourke was damn awful in that movie. He was just absolutely terrible. 
And then everybody I have talked to since that had anything to do with him or any had to work with him in anything, he, number one, mails it in now. And number two, nobody likes working with him because he thinks he's God's gift to everything. And, you know, I've got my own personal story about Mickey Rourke at a particular junket where it wasn't just me. There was a lot of people at this junket um, that were blown off by Mickey Rourke. Um, and so I got my own personal opinion. I won't go into the story in detail, but it wasn't just me. And it, he, there, he he pulled semantics at a, at a uh, junket one day that just met, left a lot of people going, wow, am I ever disillusioned about Mickey Rourke? And then you hear all these stories from producers. Nobody wants to work with him. Uh, from my understanding, and my understanding, keep this in mind, is limited. I have a limited scope of reference. My understanding is limited. But from my understanding, nobody wants to work with him anymore. And from my personal experience, from my experience of talking to people who have worked with Mickey Rourke firsthand, I'm not surprised and I'm not losing any sleep over it. I, I'd be just as happy if Mickey Rourke never showed up in another movie again. Because to me, and I don't know if he's always been this way, or maybe it's just happened as a result of, res of his resurgence. That image that everybody has at Hollywood movie stars or these uppity up snooty whatever, Mickey Rourke is the embodiment of that. So, and again, take that with a grain of salt. I'm telling my story from a very limited perspective. I, I haven't sat down and had breakfast with Mickey Rourke. I haven't hung out with a year or two with Mickey Rourke. Maybe the people who know Mickey Rourke best would tell a different story. So keep that in mind. I am simply telling you from my limited perspective, with the limited interaction I've had with Mickey Rourke, with the limited number of people who've worked with him firsthand and told me stories, this is all coming from my limited perspective. So just keep that in mind. But my limited perspective is all I have on this. So if you're asking me, why isn't Mickey Rourke around? Because he doesn't deserve to be around. So anyway... That's just my thought on that. Anyway, guys, uh, we've roughly hit the half hour mark. That'll do it for me. I've got to get over to some stages and shoot some stuff right now. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, listen, guys, don't forget, follow me on social media, on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram and obviously my YouTube channel by following me at John Campia. Once again, let me emphasize that YouTube channel. Subscribe to my channel there. Make sure you're following me there for all my videos. Uh, once again, that's the um, youtube.com slash John Campia. So follow me there. And guys, don't forget my show on Comic-Con HQ. Comic-Con HQ is now not only on your mobile device and on your web browser. It's now on the Roku. It's being launched on Apple TV, Xbox One, PlayStation. It's all coming soon on the Amazon Fire Stick. Everything, everywhere. And it's on the Roku right now. Get Comic-Con HQ and watch our show, Film HQ. I am so damn proud of this show. It's a weekly movie magazine show, very different from like Movie Talk or my podcast. It's a movie magazine show. And to understand what I mean by that, just watch a couple episodes. You see what I mean? I'm super stoked about it. Uh, make sure you go and check that out. And uh, don't forget to catch me on Collider's uh, Heroes and Jedi Council and all of that other wonderful stuff. And once again, to get a question or a topic on the John Campia Podcast, just fire me off a note to the John Campia Podcast at gmail.com. Well, that'll do it for me, guys. Thanks a lot for joining me. I'll be back again tomorrow with my response, my reactions to the Suicide Squad. I hope you join me then. And until next time, bye-bye.